When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ear Babylon was dust. The Magisaur Aster, my dead child, met his own image walking in the garden. That apparition, soul of men, he saw. For know there are two worlds of life and death. One that which thou beholdest, but the other is underneath the grave, where do inhabit the shadows of all forms that think and live, till death unite them and they part no more. A section from Prometheus Unbound by Percy Shelley. Chris. Marie. Chris, this episode, after much preamble, we are talking about one of the scariest things in the freaking world. What? Doppelgangers. Australia. Oh. No, doppelgangers. 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 I'm there. I'm there. It's not Australia. I'm so it's afraid. Doppelgangers. I'm so afraid. <laughs> I'm a little freaked out, too. All right. Now that you got now that you've been like, we've been like kind of building up to it. Now I'm just like, ee! yeah, I know Ooh. they're Ooh. scary. OK. All right. So, dear listeners, this episode is on my greatest fear, actually, which a lot of people think is really stupid. And when, like, in college, we had to talk about, like, oh, what's your biggest fear? And I was like, oh, I'm really spooked out by, like, doppelganger stories. I remember people were like, that's dumb. But actually, the dumbest the dumbest answer in that room was um, the girl from northern New Hampshire. I was at UNH. There was a girl from northern New Hampshire who said her greatest fear was gang violence. And then the rest of the night, people were like, so you're just like racist, right? Like you're just saying your biggest oh fear is like God. people that don't look like you. And um, she did not like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> so why are we talking about Sorry. why? Why did we start this section? First off, OK, who is Percy Shelley? The reason we start this episode with Percy Shelley Percy Shelley is actually the husband of Mary Shelley. And of course, Mary Shelley is the author who is most famous for writing Frankenstein, right? And kind of really starting um, the popularization of the science fiction and yes. in some ways also like the gothic horror genre. Yes. Yes. Which is she's a total badass, you know? She's- Total badass, yes. Now, this particular poem that we quoted from Prometheus and Bound is especially poignant for a number of different reasons for this episode. The first one being that um, it, it it discusses it discusses a doppelganger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about one of his children who. So for for those that don't know, so Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley really led a life of extreme melancholy, like they were the first goths. Right. Um, so at during the time of this writing of this work, um, this was published in 1820. So right after um, the children of Mary and Percy Shelley, Clara and William die one year after the other. Like so Clara dies in 1818 and then William dies in 1819. Um, that causes 
Mary Shelley to go into a huge, you know, hugely uh, deep, deep depression. And Percy Shelley kind of follows suit. And he he ends up writing actually some really, uh, again, kind of touching poetry. So one of them is, quote, My dearest Mary, wherefore hast thou gone and left me in this dreary world alone? Thy form is here indeed a lovely one, but thou art fled, gone down a dreary road that leads to sorrow's most obscure abode. For thine own sake I cannot follow thee. Do thou return for mine, end quote. Um, now after that time, of course, they have the birth of their fourth child, Percy Florence in 1819. Um, however, the kind of the loss of their children and also the fact that they had a lot of problems with things like, um, you know, miscarriages and, and, um, kind of pregnancy scares that didn't really turn into anything and all those other things really left a pall on this family of the mm-hmm. Shelleys. And interestingly enough, Percy Shelley will go on to recount numerous times in his life that he sees his doppelganger. Um, and Mary will talk about him mentioning them in dreams and everything else. And so it's just, they're the perfect, they're, they're just a fascinating couple. They're a fascinating family and mm-hmm. their relationship to the story of the doppelganger is extremely interesting in my mind. So, First off, why do why do I think doppel what are doppelgangers? What are what are, doppel- what are, what doppelgangers? are doppelgangers? All right. Doppelgangers the way that the modern story goes is essentially mm-hmm. um it is a copy of you or of someone you know. It, often it is a it is a malevolent being, something trying to harm you, something trying to trick you, something trying to whatever mm-hmm. that looks just like you talks like you, you know, has the same manner, mannerisms and everything else, but isn't you. There's something off about them. It, often it's linked to ideas like the the evil twin or yeah. um, even tulpas, right? This idea of there being like a, uh, a manifestation of energy, of negative energy that you can create in the world around you. Um, but in all of these stories that often occur, what happens is the um, – what happens really is that the the doppelganger essentially is trying to harm you in one way or the other. So right. they try to get into your house to to kill you or they try. And often it's not even that specific. Right. But the older versions of this story, the older parts of this myth are if you see a doppelganger, you are going to die. Right. Like it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like it's a, it's a bad omen. It's a right. terrible, terrible omen. Why do I find it terrifying? So, Marie, you don't you don't think this is scary at all? I, no, I. So I think it's I think it's um, I think it's scary in the way that it is psychologically unsettling, right? Like again, like you're talking about. Um, I think more recently, like the more recent tropes of it are like the evil twin, right? Like, you know, I, I think that that's been used a lot, especially in popular culture. Or, you know, you from an alternate timeline type of thing. But I think the idea of uh, like the more of the psychology behind it and sort of the thought behind it is really what is unsettling is that it's it's you, but it's not you. So what is it and what does it mean to you? And like it calls into question like the idea of a soul. And I think whenever you start to go into that type of territory, or you start to think about it. That's when it becomes 
really, uh, like I said, like unsettling and unnerving. Mm. Like to me, something I'm, I'm, I'm not scared, scared of it, but I do find it like it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's like, it is like edge of your seat kind of, uh, uh, type of feeling. Mm. If that's a, is that like, that's pretty descriptive. I, I, I understand what you're saying. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like, um, sharks, right? Or it's not like, um, I don't know. I'm sharks! trying to think of like, shark. Um, it's not like, it's not like the movie Exorcist scary. It's not like Blair Witch scary. It's not like, uh, physical reaction scary immediately or jump scare scary it's more like psychological long term like the more you think about it the more you start to get freaked out by it mm, okay I, I get what you're saying there i understand that so but it's immediately scary to you like what you're 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 scared you're gonna like you know go go to the coffee shop go to go to starbucks the guy standing in front of you is gonna be you like what how is it scary okay so I've mentioned on the show before that I have, I have a really long history of like having bad nightmares. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the most common nightmare I have sounds so stupid, Marie. The most common it's nightmare, not. the most common it's about, it's about gang violence. No, it is. Yeah, no, the most common, um, the most common me. nightmares I have are about, um, doppelgangers or doppelganger like, stories so like one very common one is um i guess almost like i would say like the eye of sauron right of like something sees you and it means like you are you are done you're dead you're in trouble it's coming for you it's over right right which is very doppelganger which is very doppelganger like so that's one type and that one doesn't necessarily have to have a human component to it but then other nightmares i've had do include that human component. And so one common one, actually, from when I was a kid, this sounds, again, really stupid. I'm just thinking, too, if there's one thing people really like, it's hearing other people's dreams. <laughs> so I'm really happy that, that makes, we're doing that this. Makes for, that makes for good podcast, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's definitely not annoying and, like, you know, stupid at all. But anyways, the the most common one, I guess, from when I was a kid is one version or the other of... So one is our house had... Our house had uh, hot water heat in it growing up in New York. Mm-hmm. And so at nighttime on the wall, as the heat came up, you would hear like a tapping, right? Oh. You'd, you'd hear a tapping on the wall. That's not good. And that's, that's not good. That's I, not cool. that's not cool. I that's not cool. was terrified and I would, I would have these, I was terrified of whatever was outside the window. So I slept with all the windows closed and everything else and like all the blinds all the way down and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I was terrified I'd see, and I used to dream this, was I'd open up the window, or I'd open up the screen, and what I would see was either my dad or my neighbor Joe, my next door neighbor Joe, smiling like too wide, like hurt your mouth wide, hammering at the window, basically saying like, let me in, I need to fix something. Oh, that's a little wacky. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that'd be problematic. I can see that. And, I can see that. And obviously, like, and the dream would always end before I let them in. But the fear was, if you let them in, then what happens? Right. Well, you know? Yeah, you shouldn't be. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. An- another another version yeah. of this same one actually is when it's when it's yourself. So mm-hmm. I'm one common one I have is I'm I'm uh, in my house. 
whatever. And my mom is calling to me outside. So my mom, my mom has like, she's infamous on my, amongst my friends who live on the same block that I lived on growing up or who lived there, I guess I should say now Mm -hmm. 30 freaking years old. um, You know, my mom, when it was time to like come home or she was looking for me, whatever, she would yell, Christopher, she'd yell it. Right. Like so loud, like loud enough that like you could hear it from other other blocks. You know what I mean? Like a couple blocks away, you could hear my mom screaming, Christopher, you know, and so and she would do it like in grocery stores. Like it's just insane. It's insane. But whatever. Um, So the dream would be mothers do. So the dream would be I would hear her calling for me. Mm-hmm. I would go to her and be like, what? Like, what do you want? And she'd say, aren't you outside, like, fixing the pool pump? Or aren't you getting the groceries? Or aren't you... <laughs> I thought you were outside playing or whatever. And then you go to the door and you see another you, again, with that two-wide grin. Oh, yeah, that's not good. That's not Coming good. to the door, right? Or well, coming did, to the back or I whatever. I know that you had this all, like... You- you have this all well produced in your head. You have it storyboarded and it's got like, yeah, that's a little bit, that's a little bit scary. Yeah. No, not great. And the, uh, great. and so the other type and this type, I've actually, uh-huh. the other type uh, or the other thing, I guess that's like this sort of is um, again, I used to sleep in the basement cause I was very, very cool in high school and middle school. So I slept in the basement and my mom's room was upstairs. But again, because of the heat, the, like the house was always making noise. It was always making noise. Yeah. And so you would, he- I would occasionally think I heard my mom calling me, but she wasn't home. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Dude, scary stuff. I, you know, yeah, I can see where this is coming from. Scary stuff. I can see where this, this is kind of scary stuff. Yeah. This is, I don't blame you. I no. don't blame you on this one. Not great. Starting to weird me out a bit. Yeah. Now, okay. Christopher. That, that's that's my personal hell, right? Now, okay. Yeah. How in in literature or in stories, mm-hmm. if you've heard these stories before, dear listener, mm-hmm. that is thanks actually to um, the German author John Paul, who wrote his work in 1796 called uh, Sibenkus. This book is actually kind of funny, and actually the early use of doppelgangers is for comedic effect. It's like having another twin that like goes off and does crazy things for you. So in Sibinkus, the guy, the main the main person, um, Sibinkus, he hates his wife with a passion, but he cannot stand his wife. And so he he tells his friend, um, Leib Geber, who looks just like him. It's his author ego or his alter ego. And Sibinkus will call him in the work, his doppelganger, which means uh, other Walker or lookalike. He'll tell him to, he can have his wife. He'll fake his death. And th- this other guy, um, Leibgeber will stay with Sibinkus's wife. And then Sibinkus goes off and gets married to another woman and finds happiness and has a great time. Yes. Less scary. Less scary. Unless yeah, you're the kind wife. Of more, more like, more like Shakespearean, right? Like the Shakespeare comedies, they're always dressed up like one another, you know, or something like that. There's confusion about who's who, and it's yeah. more comedic. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and again, yeah. listeners, when we say Shakespeare comedy, we use that term very, very lightly. Um, 
So comedies. Uh, they're fine. The original word doppelganger actually originally meant a meal where there were two main courses served simultaneously, which is like the thing I am the least afraid of. I am down with that. That's yeah. a better definition. So into that. So into that. Um, and in this case, of course, like the doppelganger. So after this book, doppelganger takes on its normal meaning today, which is a body double or a kind of a, another person. But mm-hmm. the idea of a of a, a, a the, the idea of another you who you don't have control of, who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. will go out and do things that affect you directly. Mm-hmm without you doing it and everything else, that has actually a really long history before this kind of stupid story of this guy who's like, wouldn't it be funny if I got my wife to marry a fake me? (laughs) Right? Like before that dumb story or the awesome story of two main courses served simultaneously, (laughs) there were these other concepts. So um, the, one of some of the earliest ones we have actually come from a couple different places. There's kind of Celtic mythology. There is ancient Egyptian mythology um, or ideas. So in both of these cases, what they are building off of and really in some ways what the doppelganger story itself builds off of is this concept of the other. Right. A person other than yourself who at the same time can do things to affect your subjective reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the other kind of philosophically is the sense that so okay, you know because you're experiencing your own, you know, you're experiencing your senses, you're experiencing everything else that you yourself have lived through, you know that all of that is real, or at least you experienced all of it, right? Right. But you have really no evidence that other people really exist at all. I mean, you have some evidence, right? You can build evidence for it. But in terms of them having the same thoughts as you, them having, them thinking the same way, them even having cognition in the same way that you do, that's really kind of a leap of faith that you're making. Right. You're alone within your own head. Exactly. Argument, yes. Yeah. And so this means that other people then they have a relation to you, but in some cases or in some times or some ways you might think or have the sensation that other people are, are different in kind than you are because you have your subjective reality and they in some ways are just players in that subjective reality. Right. Existential philosophy in particular deals a lot with this uneasiness. Right. And that's why, like, mm-hmm. in the work of people say like Nietzsche or um, or Sartre or, or um, even Kierkegaard, to some extent, as an early existential philosopher, if you even want to call him that, um, there are these notions of the responsibility you as a subjective person with your own morals and your own virtues and vices and everything else. What responsibility do you have to other people if it, if the things that happen to them don't really affect you? Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. But yeah, and I can see how doppelgangers would start to mess with that. They right because if yeah. there's more, if there's more out there that is you, right? Then how are you even sure that that is subjectively what is the case? Right, and well, exactly. And and if there's another you out there doing stuff that you have no control over, so the so philosophically the argument here would be that. 
you only have like, say, for example, like justice or morals, right? Mm -hmm. Morals only have like you yourself can have your own internal morals. But ultimately, what is it that makes you do things in a way that is considered moral or good? Is it the constraints that society puts on you or is it your own internal story or your own internal voice saying, I shouldn't Mm -hmm. do that? Mm -hmm. And even if it is that internal voice, is that just you doing things because you want to do them that way? Right. Is there anything moral even there? Are you doing it because it's good or are you just doing it because it's better for you or because it makes you feel good or any other number of things? But then why wouldn't I feel better if there's an exact same thing like me out there exacting, acting in the exact same way? Because they're not acting in the same way. They're acting differently to you in a way that you can't control. Oh, so suddenly okay. all of those other connections to other people, all those other things that do affect you, that's out of your control now. Not, not only now do you not have control about the, of the world around you, but you also have no control on how you interact with the world around you. So in some cases, like dreams about doppelgangers or um, theories about kind of why people have this fear or whatever, in some ways it comes down to this – for some people at least, it comes down to this idea of there being it's, – it's a, it's a motif or a theme of you losing control, right? Of you going crazy, yeah. of you yeah. not being able to control what you do anymore, of all, the, all this other stuff. I think it's also – and this gets more like when we're going to get more into it in a little bit, but I think it's – in the psychology of it, it's also about like that, you know, your own shame, like you're, you're your own worst critic. Right. And so you have, you are the one who kind of knows, you know, again, like what your fears are, like, what are you most ashamed of? And all of a sudden, if you have something externally who that has that information or that ability to use against you, that is even like, I would say even a more, um, kind of even a more realistic, but still existential, uh, loss of control, right? Yeah. Like the thing, the th- your, your greatest enemy is now you, it's always been you, like they, we've seen the enemy and it is us type of thing, but it's now, it is now external from you and you can't control it. And it knows everything about what your weakness is. And I think that that too is like this, this, um, uh, you know, it is really almost as resonant with fear as like just the idea of like, uh, it, you know, but, it, but you don't even know what it's thinking or you don't even know if it's morally correct. You know what you are, you know, what you're ashamed of or what you're afraid of. And now it's it is externally walking around and could be used against you. Exactly. Someone is out mm-hmm. there with your secrets. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. with all your passwords to all your websites. That you don't want anyone to see. <laughs> Marie, all right. There's that. It has. It knows on. where the secret credit card is, and it's gonna use it. No, it, no but seriously though, right? It's 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 a right. very yeah. It's, yeah. So, all right. So, where do these stories begin? Where do these stories come from? We're gonna talk about yeah. that after our first break. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. 
Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And we're back! And we're back! So... Some of the first stories of doppelgangers are actually really similar, I think, to modern day stories of them. And honestly, modern day, there aren't very stories about them. I mean, you get oh, them. I on, disagree. Well, okay, you get them on like creepy pastas and everything else, and then like mm-hmm. the movie, the Us, Us, that uh-huh. movie uh-huh. is all about doppelgangers, and it's very scary, and it's Ooh. yeah, it wasn't good for We're me. We're gonna get to that. That um, was oh my god. But we so talk about that more in in that movie, it's essentially mm-hmm. a shadow version of yourself who. Mm-hmm. grows resentful of you because they're forced to do everything you're doing. And that's actually in some ways really similar to one of the aspects of the personality or the, the whole body, I guess, that was present in ancient Egypt. So this is a quote from religion and magic in ancient Egypt. So, quote, the Egyptians believed that the human personality had many facets, a concept that was probably developed early in the Old Kingdom. In life, the person was a complete entity, but if he led a virtuous life, he would also have access to a multiplicity of forms that could be used in the next world. In some instances, these forms could be employed to help those whom the deceased wished to support or, alternatively, to take revenge on his enemies, end quote. Hmm. Um, that's very similar as well to kind of the Gaelic idea of the wraith, um, mm-hmm. a, a type of version of you that you could send out to attack other people to get revenge or protect an area or whatever. So the Egyptians thought of these forms. You had the ket or the physical body, the sa or spiritual body or wraith, the ib or the heart, which was something like the conscious and karma kind of all melded into one thing like didn't really tell you what to do, but it like if if you didn't have a good heart or a good ib mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. the end of your life, you wouldn't be able to go to the afterlife. It was too heavy, yes. right? And then you got eaten. Yeah. Um, the ka or the vital essence, that really was like the spark of life, right? Um, mm-hmm. but it also did in fact mean a spirit double. Um something that existed in the in like the spirit world at the same time you lived in the real world. Um, the Ba or the personality, the Sekhem or the part of the spirit which allowed you to exist post-death, the Ren or your name. Um, and of course, like the name, that's why it was so important in our last series when Akhenaten, all of his names were, or all of the writings about him were struck down. That was them trying to kill his Ren, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had your Ak or your magical spirit. And finally, you had the Shut or the Shadow. And the Shadow... Uh, Ka, Sa, and Ak are really similar. They're very similar stories to what the way that we think of doppelgangers today, right? So um, the shadow, for example, um, some pharaohs would keep um, 
some pharaohs would actually keep a box that held their shadow for them or a piece of their shadow because it was thought that the shut um, was a representative both of the god of death. So it was a, an aspect of death with you at all times waiting for you to mm-hmm. die. Um, mm-hmm. But also that if you lost your shadow, you wouldn't have a guide through the afterlife um, that you would you wouldn't have the spirit part of you to help you as you got through the afterlife. Um so, as you can imagine, all of that kind of quite important to the development of the of the doppelganger um, today, right? Yeah, it's and it's so strange that it's like it's so ancient, and yet, like you said, it's still used. It's still used in, or the theme of it is still used in movies and popular culture today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And I think it's been it's been carried out throughout throughout um throughout history and i think to me the best ways to understand it or kind of get your head around it is like mostly through literature there's been some you know some art but like i think the motif comes up continuously especially within romanticism and then later on it's like like you were pointing out it is one of the canon themes right the big tentpole themes of gothic literature um, and so the romantic literature, again, is sort of the idea of kind of coming off of Shelley in some ways, the constant struggle to reach beyond yourself and your own existence. Like you have this, this double that signifies the continuous longing for the infinite of something that can just never be fulfilled. Hmm. Right. So it's this constant striving for this higher self or this higher notion that exists as divided from self. So one is rooted sort of in your mortal existence, right? That it's here on earth. But then the other is the idea that you need to pursue this higher harmony with the infinite, which again, is just a very like romantic notion um, that, you know, again, it, all of the literature around that, it just, just has a lot of references and illustrations to this idea between what is real and what is ideal and that you should be seeking the sublime. Um, But again, so, but romantic, you know, I think the thing with romantic literature is that also, as you see with Shelley, it starts to, it starts to spawn more into um, a darker territory. Like it goes into the supernatural or, you know, unexplained phenomenon such as hypnosis, uh, sleepwalking, insanity, and the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big things, uh, especially with um, with hypnosis during that during the time of the romantic literatures around 1730s, uh, was the German physician Frederick Anton Mesmer who developed the scientific quote unquote method of delving into the human psyche that provided the access to the human mind and the secrets that lay within through hypnosis. Right. So again, this, this idea of like, suddenly now we've had these old stories for a long time about there Mm -hmm. being an inner and outer person. Of course, that seems to be on its face, obvious to us that that would exist. And now Mm -hmm. you have this guy who's able to go in there and get at that inner inner self. It's not great. No, and it's sort of, but it's also sort of, you know, pseudoscience, but it's getting into this, again, dark area of, again, like uh, your fears, the things that you keep hidden, your shadow self, which, again, really just leans right right into gothic literature. And so the doppelganger is just this idea of this 
this dark nature of man and sometimes the scientific search for the basis of the fear and dread within their own psyche. So you have Mesmer trying to, you know, uh, find the subliminal or the hidden um, through hypnosis. You have Freud, who was huge into this particular theory of the uncanny or the unheimlich, which is the idea that we've gone into quite a bit, especially when we talked about the movie Cats, <laughs> right? But the other, or there is something that should be familiar and feel homey or that is reassuring, but for some reason it has the opposite effect, which is uh, the uncanny. So it's this, again, this notion that your the self or your stability or psychology of the self is being destabilized um, when the unconscious overcomes the ego. So the things that are the, your, your good stabilizing force or your ego is having to respond to this primal fear or this identity loss of self. And so this, this comes into play again with of a doppelganger in that it becomes the embodiment of that of that fear right or again of that loss of control that you were talking about earlier but it's it's this macabre other uh strange thing that's blurring the boundaries between the dream state and what's real and what's sane and what's madness by saying um this is the other and kind of kind of presenting itself as a subjective view into what you know, your external world really is. It's you, but then it's also the thing that is not you. It's so scary. I, so it is really, really scary. And I think like you can see kind of really interesting theories or really interesting examples of this, again, in literature, which would be like uh, Jekyll and Hyde, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is a, just straight up like here's a part of uh, Hyde is – or. Hyde, Dr. Hyde, is uh, the ego. He's the upstanding citizen, the doctor who um, sublimates his darker side, which is violence and aggression and this ugliness into um, into doctor uh, into it's Dr. Jekyll, yeah, and Mr. Hyde. Sorry, I get the two confused. Um, so he, he sublimates it into uh, Jekyll, who is or God, I keep doing it. See, sorry. <laughs> into Hyde, who is then, um, you know, who only comes out when he's allowed out, but eventually takes control over, over the doctor's body. Yeah. Right. Um, it's famous, like, again, it's famous in stories by E.T.A. Hoffman about the Sandman. Um, but the idea is that, that, uh, or that the doppelganger is going to take over that self. As soon as you start to have this appearance of this other, um, they will begin to assume your identity and take over, take over your being. And it's, it's a malicious intent. Um, so again, it's like all of sort of all of the great Gothic literature, uh, Wilkie Collins, the William, the woman in white. Um, and then there's also the notion, like we were talking about earlier with, with Frankenstein, that that in itself is a double, the idea of the doctor, uh, Frankenstein and his monster that he created is his is somewhat of his double. Um, but then the parallel notion that these two things 
are so similar and they can't escape one another, right? So they're always going to be in, you and this doppelganger of self are always going to be in this continuous battle and you can't ever, one that you can't ever win unless you're both eliminated. No, yeah. Well, um, yeah, yeah. In, in the modern world, right? It's that, it's the, I mean, it's the same, it's the, it's the villain and the hero, right? But it, but in yes. in its most extreme form, right? Like the modern version of that that we can all think of is probably Batman and the Joker, right? But another an older version would be like Dracula and Van Helsing, or, yes. um, or you know, yeah, like Frankenstein and his monster, or even, um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on I'm blanking on the guy's name now. Um, oh, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. There was the name Moriarty. Yes. I could not remember Moriarty. Right? It's this. Yeah. It's the same idea of there being a thing like you out there that's very similar, but is kind of the evil traits of you, right? It's another yes. version of you. Yes. Um, another actually really interesting one that this is really, I think, for most people where the story of the doppelganger comes in and, and where if you're listening, if you're listening to this show, at least you probably know it mostly from this continuation of um kind of, again, the Egyptian and then Greco-Roman lore that kind of um, grew with Egyptian lore and then turned into Hellenistic lore and everything else, it's this idea of the fetch, right? Mm -hmm. The fetch is your double or it's an apparition of someone who's living. So it doesn't have to be a double, a physical double. It can be a ghost sort of thing. But in these stories, um, seeing the fetch in the morning means that you're going to live a long life, but seeing a fetch at night means that you are going to die. Um, and these stories go back to um, extremely, extremely long periods of time. Um, one of the earliest ones, actually, that we have kind of any real writing about is from um, is from Isaac Walton in 1612, who claimed that he saw his wife um, on the same night that she was having a miscarriage. She had a stillbirth of their daughter. Um, and so he claimed that... Um, he claimed that he saw his wife um, there in his room with him um, and she walked by twice in the room that he was in. Her hair was down and she had a dead child in her arms. Um, and he claimed that he saw her there and he knew then that it, it must be it must mean um, that his wife had uh, miscarried their daughter. And I think the thing that to me that stands out it's sort of this difference is you have the doppelganger as the opposite right which is sort of the good bad um or even in other stories um uh, like uh william wilson edgar Allan poe mm. um william wilson is actually the good he's the good twin, right? And so he's the one who's acting as the moral compass and, you know, is saying, exposes Wilson when he when he uh, cheats at cards and follows him around and is sort of a scold and tries to stop him from doing bad things. And then Wilson murders him, you know, in a, in quote unquote, a, uh, a duel only to find out that he's, he's killed himself, but that they're sometimes the opposite or a lot of times they're the opposite, but they also, I think, which is even more unsettling is when you look at the doppelganger as the negation of self. So not even the opposite, which is at least something else, but the total negation of self, which is in some ways like extinction or death. Hmm. And I think that that to me is more 
is a more frightening version of it because again, um, if it's the opposite, it's something that you can anticipate or has some sort of rules or some sort of uh, balance to it. If the doppelganger is uh, is this this negation, it is um, it's chaos, it's sort of madness, it's un- it's the unknown. And I think that that to me is, it's more of a modern reading, I think, too, than sort of the opposite. But to me, that's like, that was, that's the real horror is that it's, 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 there is nothing there and it's you. Mm. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? It's I like, do. like it's well, the it's, consciousness, it's like- it, it has a consciousness as well, right? Even if it's evil, it's an evil consciousness of you. But what if that thing that is you has no conscience, well, has no, has nothing, it's the, it's, I think, I think it's the fight club defense, right? It, it's, it's you, it's that sort of old or not really old, but I guess like it's this idea of, you know, yeah, you, well, you do, you see something else, you see someone else do all these terrible things that right. you're like, I would never do those. And then you find out, oh my God, I, I did those. I'm the one that did those things. Right. I think that like, I think that that is like part of like this whole negate, like that terrible thing is me. Right. And that's like, again, Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, Hyde being the bad, I got it straight in my mind finally. Right. Hyde being the evil part, but Mm. at least that thing exists and is evil. But what if that thing, like, what if the twin or the thing you are seeing, like you are saying, it's seeing, it's looking at you, it's smiling, it's death. It's the negation of self. It's the obliteration of self. Mm. We got to stop doing episodes of my fears. I think we need to stop doing them because now I just got, I just talked myself into being scared. I don't like it. It's too scary, Marie. I I thought we would, I thought we would finish this episode by talking about... A couple, a couple no, of real, well, a couple of real doppelganger stories, real quote oh, unquote. Great, that's just great. All right, so one of my favorites. No, I didn't need to sleep, Chris. No, go, it's fine, right? It's fine. Just roll. That's fine. Uh, one of my favorites, and actually one that is uh, kind of pertinent right now because of the election, is the story of Abraham Lincoln seeing himself, um, seeing himself in the mirror. So, mm-hmm. but he, saw, um, he was looking in a mirror. Okay. Well, so okay. Of course he not, okay. Oh, all right. All right. All right. Not in that. Oh God. Not in a dumb way. <laughs> Abe Lincoln wasn't looking in the mirror like Martha. <laughs> it wasn't even Martha. What was his wife's name? Mary. Oh my Mary. Um, Mary. I see myself in this glass. What's going on? So, okay. Abe, this story kind of gets um, incredibly historically realistic. Yes, extremely realistic. <laughs> so he claimed he claimed that he saw um, he claimed that he had a weird a couple of weird dreams. So this is from Carl Sandburg's biography of Abraham Lincoln. Um, quote: A queer dream or illusion had haunted Lincoln at times throughout the winter. On the evening of his election, he had thrown himself on one of the haircloth sofas at home, which, mm, haircloth, just after the first telegrams of November 6th had told him he was elected president, and looking into a bureau mirror across the room, he saw himself full length, but with two faces. It bothered him. He got up. The illusion vanished, but when he lay down again, there in the glass again were two faces, one paler than the other. 
He got up again, mixed in the election excitement, forgot about it, but it came back and haunted him. He told his wife about it. She worried, too. A few days later, he tried it once more, and the illusion of the two faces again registered to his eyes, but that was the last. The ghost since then wouldn't come back, he told his wife, who said it was a sign he would be elected to a second term, and the death pallor of one face meant he wouldn't live through his second term, end quote. Huh. And so this is from a story, supposedly, that Lincoln told himself um, hmm. to uh, to a couple of other people afterwards. Um and supposedly it had been confirmed by his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, and also by the private secretary, John Hay, um, and basically said that he he saw himself in the mirror and um, it yeah basically was a was a was an omen was yeah. an omen of death. Portent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now. Another really famous one, which is really, really interesting, I think is actually the story that we started out with, the story of Percy Shelley. So, um, Percy Shelley ended up, um, he, he ends up dying in 1822 in the Bay of Spezia near uh, Larici in Italy. And so, um, that was in July, July 8th, he dies. Mary Shelley, in a letter later to a friend, Maria Gisborne, um, claimed that Percy had had a Percy had had a uh, I don't even know what's how to describe it. I guess a vision of his doppelganger on uh, the the late night of June twenty third. So uh, his dream essentially was about the house collapsing, um, but also said, "quote take, Talking it over the next morning, he told me that he had many visions lately." He had seen the figure of himself, which met him as he walked on the terrace and said to him, how long do you mean to be content? No very terrific words and certainly not prophetic of what has occurred. But Shelley had often seen these figures when ill. But the strangest thing is that Mrs. Williams saw him. Now, Jane, though a woman of sensibility, has not much imagination and is not in the slightest degree nervous, neither in dreams or otherwise. She was standing one day, the day before I was taken ill, at a window that looked on the terrace with Trelawney. It was day. She saw as she thought Shelley pass by the window, as he often was then, without a coat or jacket. He passed again. Now, as he passed both times the same way, and from the same side towards which he went each time, there was no way to get back except past the window again except over a wall 20 feet from the ground. She was struck at seeing him pass twice thus, and looked out and seeing him no more, she cried, Good God, can Shelley have leapt from the wall? Where can he be gone? Shelley, said Trelawney, no, Shelley has passed. What do you mean? Trelawney says that she trembled exceedingly when she heard this, and it proved indeed that Shelley had never been on the terrace and was far off at the time she saw him, end quote. Ah, it's creepy. I'll give you that. That's that's a little unsettling. So this guy, right? <laughs> this guy, yes, sees. How his, long do you intend to be content, or whatever it was? That's pretty. Yeah. Do you plan, plan to be, to be content. content? But isn't that like a negation? I mean, isn't that like basically something saying, "How long are you going to be happy? How long are you going to exist?" I mean, that's pretty dark that's pretty unsettling yeah not great yeah no not man. great marie no that's creepy hey thanks christopher <sighs> dear listeners 
Chalk that one up. That's a new fear. I hope that I have made you all, I hope that I have converted all of you to be afraid of doppelgangers, as afraid of them as I am. I hope this has been a great episode. I hope that it has been a good Halloween season for you all. Um, Thank you all so much for your patience and your time and everything else. Support constantly. We love you. We love you all. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. So that's good. And I'm talking into the mic. I'm trying to turn more and I'm going to move. I'm even going to move this more here. Oh my goodness. I know. I'm working really hard. I'm putting away this. Jake, I'm moving. I'm moving this more in front of my face. I'm putting away the three peanuts that I didn't finish eating before we started okay they are away jake all right dude jake jake is so good to jake. fucking put up with us this poor guy jake, jake is jake is our moral center really when he's like okay you guys seriously can you please stop drinking and farting and burping yeah. marie can you talk into the mic we're like damn it jake fine that's just bad jake all right so you know a lot can happen in seven minutes and luckily That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes.